What a nice time of worship, church. Amen. Thank you, Father. Amen. If you would, please bow your heads with me. Father, I thank you, Lord, for an opportunity to share your word today. I thank you for a history been given to us in the book that I hold in my hand. The Bible, Lord, the truth, the foundation. Father, not only of the church, but our faith that's resting upon all of the truths of the work of Jesus Christ. I thank you for your body, Lord, that is fitly framed together. And I thank you for seasons. I thank you that every season is not harvest time. I thank you, Father, for pruning in our own lives. I thank you for pruning in the church. And at the end of the day, as we assemble ourselves together, Lord, in eternity, would you have gathered fruit unto yourself? Lord, use us in any way that you need. Would you wake us up from our busyness, from our own interest, and then give us light to know where the truth is truly at. Show us that pearl of great price in our lives today. I know many are saved here this morning. Others may not be. But, Father, there's a pearl that causes us to leave everything else. Father, will you bring us to the place to be willing to lay all and everything at your feet? I thank you that Jehoshaphat, as I share this morning, faced days, Lord, in which he had to know how to equip those that were around him. I thank you for the instruction this morning, Lord. And I can't help but in this prayer mention, I pray for every family that I've talked to this week that the adversary has been after by way of marriage especially, that you would knit our hearts together in the home and do it in the church, O oh God. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. If you have your Bible with you, if you would turn to Second Chronicles chapter 20, I've really been uh, looking at just some, a lot of personal hits, uh, some within the church and, and others are just long-term relationships that I've had. But there's an absolute all-out attack in America. The fabric of our society is built upon the family. And the family is under attack. Amen. And so divorce is rampant, and we see this to be commonplace. So I want to this morning equip you with five ways that Jehoshaphat defended and began to prepare himself before the Lord as he knew there was a battle coming. Now, when I say a battle, sometimes you may think of a physical element. Maybe you're facing a battle today and physically this morning. I know Bruce Bartelli is in the hospital this morning. He had some surgery in the last few weeks. And so the reason they're not here is because he's in the hospital with a urinary tract infection, they think. But they ask that you be praying for him today. Amen. And so they know that uh, this has been a long season for them. And, and it made me think this morning about Gary. I know Gary's been dealing with a uh, 
these kidney stones and things of that nature, but really throughout the body. And many times this happens in seasons, church. You'll see, you'll see a church or even a family at times that there'll be a season where you seem to take more hits than at other times. And so my simple wisdom for you out of the word is at these times, just stand still and let God show to you his salvation. So I know we're fixers and doers, but many times in the midst of the battle, if we stand still, you will confuse the devil and all of the adversaries of your life worse in standing still than any movement you can do. So if a coyote jumps the fence, comes into the pasture, and is after a calf, he will run them in circles until the weakest one is separated. Once they run far enough and separates them, he has the weak calf. But if they will stand still, the whole herd gets together, there's very little the coyote can do. And so I encourage you that if you're facing a battle in your life and you're unsure, maybe you're a little confused, maybe you've been here before, you're frustrated, you might be a little bit weary, and you say, Pastor, what should I do? This morning, my instruction to you is to stand still and see the salvation of God. I encourage you that every season is not harvest time. So every season of our life does not have to be the time in which we bring all of the baskets full in our life in many different ways. Many times you'll have to go plowing and you're going to have to plow in hope. Many times you're going to have to plant seed. Sometimes you're going to have to water. Amen. And when it comes to marriages... If the grass looks greener on the other side, start watering the grass on your side. Amen. Amen. Just water the grass. It'll grow. And then you won't worry about what's across the fence. So, okay. But this morning I want to share with you and uh, just enjoy the wisdom God's given in the Word. In Second Chronicles chapter 20, we're dealing with Jehoshaphat. Jehoshaphat was a king who ruled well. Not all of the chronicles will give us evidence of kings that ruled well, but Jehoshaphat was one. He ruled for 25 years. He started at 35 and ruled until he was 60. And so if you would, let's begin reading. I'll be a little lengthy in verses, but we'll break this down as we go. Chapter 20, verse 1. It came to pass after this also. I want to stop right there. After what? Jehoshaphat had just set everything in a really good order. Militarily and in every way, he had set the house in order, or the city. The Ju- Judah was set in order. Jehoshaphat done a tremendous job of making sure there was order kind of in a town. So it was like coming to town. The, the, uh, the city would be out of order. He set all of the people in their places, and they were in order. They had done extremely well. He had a tremendous amount of not only only finances, but he had military backing. And actually, quite honestly, most of his surrounding was allowing him to live in peace because at this time, Jehoshaphat had won so many victories. But what he didn't know was in the midst of victory could come one of your most fierce opponents. Amen. And so many times that happens. A season will be very good. And you've just finished gathering all the, the tomatoes out of the garden, all of the fruit, and all of a sudden fall hits. Okay. And fall is a pruning time. Fall is a time in the garden. And others, you start to clean up. And, and burn away in this. Well, anyway, Jehoshaphat's facing this. Let's continue to read, church. After this also, the children of Moab and the children of Ammon. I won't get into background there, but you ought to go home and do a study on the children of Moab and Ammon. They were both out of the flesh, dealing with Lot and the whole bit. It was ruthless. They were not dealt with the first time when the children of Israel came in. They weren't destroyed. And so now here they come. And it says, and with them, besides the Ammonites, came... Uh, they against Jehoshaphat to battle. So they're basically coming to do battle. Then there came some of Jehoshaphat uh, to say to him, there comes a great multitude against you from the sea on the other side of Syria. Behold, uh, who wants to pronounce this name? Yeah, whoever wants to, hold your hand up. Uh, Right, yeah, we won't even try to pronounce this name. Amen, it's about this long. Amen, how would you like to have a name like that? 
Come on with me, church. Amen. Look at this name. Who wants to? Okay. Anyway, that's a big name, and let's go right on to verse 3. And Jehoshaphat feared, and he set himself to seek the Lord and proclaimed a fast throughout all Judah. This is number one. What did, what did Jehoshaphat do when he knew he had an invading army, and they had already gained ground? They had already crossed the Dead Sea. They were in his territory, and there was a great number. I, I think it's, it's credible to notice the first thing he does. Now, if they were to to cross our southern or northern borders in the United States of America today, I can assure you, regardless of where you stand politically or otherwise, if somebody invaded and dropped a bomb or at least brought a huge military across our border, that our military would be the first thing contacted. Amen. Every general would have hit some button, wakes them up in the night. We have an invading army, whoever it may be, we would be after them. Amen. So we would use our military might to back off this army, and that would be your first thought. But what I like about Jehoshaphat, it was not his first thought. And this man had a military. But Jehoshaphat had wisdom knowing first he feared and then set himself to seek the Lord. Lord and proclaim a fast. Isn't that wonderful? So the first thing in any battle you get into, if you're facing the struggle of life, I'd like to ask you to seek the Lord and begin to fast. How many of you have fast any time in your Christian walk? Amen. Amen. Jesus teaches on fasting. I don't think it's taught a great deal in the church, but I will tell you that when the disciples went to pray with someone, they said, why couldn't we deal with this? And he said, this only comes out with prayer and fasting. And right here, Jehoshaphat not only fears, it doesn't say he feared the Lord, he probably feared what was coming. And if you've ever laid through a nighttime, whether it be through a sickness, trouble in your family, and you're facing fear, we know that God did not give you the spirit of fear, but of power and love and of a sound mind. So when we're able to first, you know, there's an ability to fear something and still be moved in faith. I can prove it scripturally. Noah feared, but then he began to build an ark. And sometimes your fear or a fearful situation will send you the place to what matters the most. It will reduce what doesn't matter and take you right into what does matter. And this is what's going on with Jehoshaphat. He set himself to seek the Lord. Now, how do you set yourself to seek the Lord? How do you do that? I don't know how you do it. I know how I do it. I run as fast as I can to the milk barn. Amen. I was there early this morning. The dew, the fog was real heavy. I was headed to that old milk barn one more time. Amen. How do you set yourself to seek the Lord? If you are in an all-out battle, there needs to be a position that you set yourself in to seek the Lord. There's a position of setting to seek something you want. And there's a position of setting and seeking that will allow you an opportunity not only to be heard, but to be understood. And sometimes you feel misunderstood. And so if we set ourselves in a way, now I don't know about you, but little Isaiah, sometimes he looks at me, but he's not looking at me. (laughs) You ever had the children like that? I go, Isaiah, you come here right now. He knows I want to tell him something, but he goes like this. (laughs) Huh? Yeah, he does that. Now I don't do this to Isaiah, but when I was little, you know what my mom would do? She's not here this morning. They're on a little vacation today and amen. Are you with me? All of a sudden, I'm set to seek my mother. Amen. Are you with me? I'm set. Are you with me now? Now, I know the Lord's not going to like squeeze your lips. Are you with me? 
But he, he is a Lord that needs to be sought out. And there's a way that you can set yourself to seek Him. And what Je- Jehoshaphat did, he said, look, I'm going to set the whole, the whole city. So it's just like someone just invaded a southern or a northern border of the United States, and you have a president that then says, I want the whole country to set their self to seek the Lord. Wouldn't that be wonderful? The first thing we thought of wasn't military might, but was the greatest might in all of eternity, which is a God who sits high and looks low, and no matter where you are, is able to hear your cry. No matter how fearful it looks, is able to meet your need. This is the first thing Jehoshaphat did, was set himself to seek the Lord. Let's continue reading. And Judah gathered themselves together to ask help of the Lord. Are we doing this? I know this is elementary. Are we doing this? Or do sometimes we go for what we think we need to do? Are you with me? Okay, I know how to fix this. I'll just fix it myself. Or do we sit there and say, Lord, I really need your help. Because if we don't see ourselves as needing help, then we see ourselves as needing no help. And we find ourselves in a position of pride. And the Bible says that God resists the proud and he will give grace to the humble. So the leader who's done tremendously well needs to understand he needs the help of the Lord. Amen. It doesn't matter if it's a father in a home, a pastor in a church, a president of the United States. We need God's help. Amen. Verse 5. And Jehoshaphat stood. This is the, the second thing I believe that was instrumental in my study of this chapter. Jehoshaphat stood. And so what does it mean to stand? I mean, it looks like you're doing nothing when you stand. But the opposite of standing is to flee. So if you get in and you know that there's a battle raging in your life, it could be many fronts. It causes fear. Do you stand or do you flee? Do you stand in your mind or do you flee in your mind? Does your body stand or flee? You see, because Ephesians 6 said you will not be able to withstand all these darts and all these attacks without finding the strength of the Lord. And so what Jehoshaphat did that was looked simple, he stood. He stood and didn't move. Huh? Now, if you're running through and you've just been through basic training in the military and you find yourself in Afghanistan and every enemy on every side, I remember some uh, Vietnam vets that told me this and they said they got in the jungle. I said, how do you keep from getting killed? They said there were times when I knew that I had enemies all the way around me. But he said the last thing you wanted to do was move. You had to stop and listen. And you could heal the foot, the feet, the running of every enemy that was around you. Are you with me? And sometimes in the midst of it, you need to stand still. And Jehoshaphat stood. He just stood there. Can you imagine one who first sits himself to seek God, asks the help of the Lord, and now says, Lord, I think I'll just stand. Amen. How many of you know what we need more than anything in our lives, in our homes and in our churches and in our country as a government is men and women who will stand? Are you with me? Amen. Now, why are you standing? What makes you willing to stand? What is it that you believe in and know to be true that would cause you enough strength to stand? God would have to say something to you. Somewhere in your seeking, somewhere in your asking Him for help, God has to say, this is your hope. This is what it looks like at the end of the day. Amen? Are we persuaded by what we see afar off? Or can we sometimes be caught up in the folly of what we want so much that we're not standing anywhere, but we're pursuing our own interests? And sometimes, God, I just need to get quiet enough and still enough 
to know exactly where you're And this is what prayer does. And I say it, I've said it before, I say it again. We have all the teaching, more preaching, and more books in the United States of America than anywhere in the world on Christianity. And we have a country who lives in sin that grossly outmarks Sodom and Gomorrah. Amen. And it's not the problem of preaching or teaching. It's the problem of the place of prayer. Setting ourselves to seek the Lord. Really commanding a fast, however it may be. But saying, Lord, we need your answers. We're a people. We are your people. And he said, if my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray. How many of you know that? Okay. My people. He didn't say the people who didn't believe in him. God said, if his people would do this, Jehoshaphat was one of his people. Let's keep reading. Verse 6, and he said, O Lord God of our fathers, are you not the God of heaven? You ruled over all the kingdoms of the earth and the heathen. And your hand, is there not power and might so that none's able to stand? He starts commending God. This is what we were doing while we were worshiping. You see, worshiping is not a song service. Worshiping is where you're bowing your will in the presence of setting yourself before God so he gets to do with you whatever he wants to do with your life. Worshiping God is not twisting the arm of an eternal God to get what you want. Worship of God causes men and women to exalt God, not because they could lift an all-knowing, all-powerful God up, but because men and women can humble themselves before a holy God who then can raise you up in His own season and in His own timing. The Bible says, if you humble yourself before the mighty hand of God, then He will exalt you in due season. Season. That means there's seasons. But look how he exalts God. Look at verse 7. Are you not? Now imagine this. Don't just listen to this like the pastor's reading. Man, he's reading too many verses today. You know what I mean? Like, look at this. Like, this is you talking to God in your situation right now. Verse 7. Are you not our God? Who did drive out the inhabitants of this land before the people Israel. And you gave seed to Abraham. And he was your friend forever. And you dwelt therein. And they built you a sanctuary in your name. Saying if when evil comes on us. And the sword and judgment or pestilence and famine. That we're going to stand. You see that stand. I'm just going to stand before you in your house Lord. And in your presence for your name's sake. And in this house and cry, I'm just going to cry to you. Sometimes you need to just cry to the Lord. I'm afflicted, God. And, and then I know that you're going to hear me and help me. Can you hear that worship? Can you hear the way Jehoshaphat setting himself? He knows God's done great things. And maybe this is a morning when you need to remember back to what God's done great for you. I don't know about you, but I remember being 17 years old, voted most likely to be imprisoned by 21 years of age. I remember that all five nights I finished my work early and went to an old church, come down to an altar call. Yes, I still believe in altar calls. And up here, God did something that I still don't understand. And I'm not sure if I'd known what I was getting into, I'd agreed to it. I probably would have went, whoa, not me, Lord. Amen. 
And maybe you're in a situation, you laugh at my, my comment, but the truth is maybe you're in a situation, you say, if I had known all this, you know, I wouldn't have. You, you ever hear that kind of conversation? It can happen in a home, it can happen in a country, and it can happen when you're in a hospital bed. Amen. Maybe I'd have ate different. I've heard him say that I'd be go pray with somebody for heart surgery. Oh, man, I'd have never ate so many cheeseburgers. If I, amen. The drive-thru would not have been first on my list. But what he does, he exalts God and said, God, you've been such a deliverer. And we need to come to the house of God this morning. And when we worship, and at the end of this service, say, God, I'm not here just to complain. But I'm here to say, God, you've always been faithful. You've always been. You've never moved, Lord. I've moved all the way. But today, I'm going to make a decision to stand. I'm just going to stand still. I don't know what's going on. I don't know how you'll restore it. But God, this place is for your namesake. And I'm going to cry before you when I'm afflicted. And I know that when I cried, you God you're going to help me that's all I know it you're the best father I've ever I've never had a father like you I've never met a father like you you hear me anytime you don't go on vacation you don't prefer me over anybody I can't measure myself with other men or women and hope that you'll receive me God but I'm yours because you found me I wasn't worth anything when you found me But you bought me. I was on an auction block for the devil. Nobody had hope. But God, you you held your hand up and you bought me. And he bought you. If you're born again, you're bought with a price. Your life is not your own. He has a purpose and wants to place you in a body so he can have glory and make you the light of this world. The city that's set on a hill. You're the salt of the earth. And as a pastor, I don't want you losing your savor. Amen. I want you to go to the one that first made you salty. The one that first gave you light. Amen. He worships God and says, God, you've always been victorious. Let's continue to read. Verse 12. Let's look at verse 12. O oh, our God, you will not judge them, for we have no might against this great company that comes against us. Neither do we know what to do, but our eyes are on you. This is number four. Now, why didn't he refer to his military again? Because he actually had a really good military. Because he was not going to first at any time in his life trust in physical strength when he knows a spiritual battle is at hand. Amen. And many of us need to know that when we came to Christ, we entered a military battle spiritually where the adversary of your soul wants to accuse you before God day and night. And in order to live through the life of labor, travail, and battle spiritually, we're going to have to be equipped with some kind of armor that's more than a natural armor, but it's an armor that will keep us from being hit with the fiery darts of the adversary. Amen. If you're going to go to war, you better make sure you've got basic training and you've got equipment to defend yourself. And we need to know that when you get there, somebody sent you. What a pastor needs to know is you didn't call yourself preacher. And men of God, I want to tell you, and women, you didn't call yourself to the battle you're in, but I want you to defend yourself from the fiery darts of the adversary. And they can be quenched, all of them, above all, the shield of faith quenches all the fiery darts of the adversary. There's not one of them hot enough, big enough, or strong enough to get past that shield. In Genesis 15, God said, I will be your shield. So how about honoring him one more time, get faith in front of you, and let God shield you from everything that attacks you. Amen. 
Let the weak say, I am strong, not because of myself, but I've got a daddy. I've got a father and he's king and he's savior. He's big enough, good enough and loving enough to do all he intended to do. Amen. But he says here, there's such a great company. God loves doing things when there's a multitude gathered against you in the name of Jesus. Amen. They gathered at Jericho. And they said, what's going on? And Joshua said, there's somebody right there. He goes to the one, says, who are you? Are you for them or us? Neither I'm for neither one of you. I'm the captain of the Lord's host. I'm here to make sure this battle goes the way God wants it to. And I'll make sure he does business when he's done. Amen. Don't you love that? That God could encamp angels around your life, on your bedside, in your marriage, to say to you by faith, I'm going to make sure what you prayed for in the faith of Jesus Christ comes to pass. And it's not up to you. And then he does something else. Neither do we know what to do. See, our ways are not God's ways. And we'll get confused. And we'll start thinking our thinking is His thinking. And that's why those moments, I don't know how you bow, I get on my knees. I get on a milk stool. Because I know my will will fight against the will of God. And if I don't first humble myself right here and say, God, what do you want to do with me? Tell me the decisions you want me to make. Because at all costs, when I'm 80 years old, let God. God, I want you to be honored and glorified. I want to pastor a church. I mean a church that's not traditions of men. I want to pastor a church where all that's left is Jesus Christ at the forefront and God being worshipped at the end of the day. Are you with me? I'm not talking about lukewarmness. I'm talking about everyone that's in town, everyone that's in a Bible study, everyone that worshipped, just worshipped God in truth and in spirit. Are you with me? You think, oh, that didn't do it. Oh, yeah. Don't tell me we've got a generation on the scene that won't serve God. I've been praying for them for about three hours at a time. And they're college-age students, and they're strong in the Word. And they spend hours of prayer. And I can't get off the phone with them because they know there's a movement of God. And I say, God, let's do it together. They can't wait to get to the Bicknell Center Monday morning to co-sponsor Revival in Pittsburgh, Kansas that goes on for three days in two cities, brings two bands out of New Mexico and Sacramento, California, so God can have business one more time. I don't buy Goliath's deal. I don't buy it. Forget it. Some of us need to sacrifice our lives before God and take some hits if necessary. Amen. Okay, that was number four. Look what he says at the end of verse 12. He first said the company's too great. We don't know what to do. So what do you do while you're standing still? Just put your eyes on him. He said, I'm just going to keep my eyes on you. God, I'm just going to stand right here. I don't know what to do. It looks bigger than I can handle. My marriage is falling apart. I'm, I'm sick. I'm, I'm frustrated at church. I don't know which one. What? I'm just saying, stand still. Put your eyes on Jesus. Huh? Put your eyes on Him. It's like Isaiah. I say, Isaiah. And he's going, no, Isaiah. I do this all the time to him. Look at Daddy. Look at me. And his eyes go. No, I said, look at Dad. I want to tell you something. 
Now, most of the time I'm saying, you don't do that anymore. You know what I mean? But that's not why God's trying to get our eyes on him. See, he's not going to go. He's trying to go, look at me. Look at me. I have to, I've done it in a hospital bed before. I had a friend on a hospital bed. I said, look at me. He was getting all out of sorts. Oh, look at me. You're going to have to show your children how to live and die. So let's get the job done. Are you with me? And it changed it all. Look at me. Now, sometimes we need to just look at God. Stand still. Get a good look at Him. And let Him say something to you like, you're going to be okay. Your marriage is okay. Come on. You can do this. Amen. You're not finished yet. Are you with me? You're not done with this yet. You're okay. Don't we need that, church? Let's look at the final, the fifth thing. Verse 21. Let's read it, verse 18. Jehoshaphat bowed his head with his face to the ground in all of Judah. And the inhabitants of Jerusalem fell before the Lord, worshiping the Lord. And the Levites and the children of the uh, Kohathites and the children of the Korhites stood upon to praise the Lord God of Israel with a loud voice on high. It's what you were doing earlier. And they rose early in the morning. That's what I do in the mornings. How do you do it? See, mercies new every morning. They rose early in the morning. And they went forth into the wilderness of uh, Tekoa. And as they went forth, Jehoshaphat stood. Man, this guy keeps standing. He just keeps standing. What do you do with that? He knows he's not strong enough. He knows he's not big enough. He just keeps standing and looking into the face of Jesus. Are you with me? Jehoshaphat stood and said, Hear me, O Judah, and the inhabitants of Jerusalem. Believe in the Lord your God, and you shall be established. Believe his prophets, and you shall prosper. And when he had consulted with the people, he appointed singers... Under the Lord, and that should praise the beauty of his holiness. And they went out before the army and to say, Praise the Lord for his mercy that endures forever. Now, here's the key, church. You see all of these points on how Jehoshaphat prepared the people in Judah to defend themselves wasn't with military might, it wasn't with intellect, it wasn't with fancy books. He stood the people still, let them sanctify their life, and they all upon the Lord. Now watch what happens. The last and final blow to their adversaries was this. He starts assembling the worshipers and the singers. Somebody's going to worship God for his holiness. Amen. And that's what we do forever and ever. But that's what he did. Now read. Let's continue to read. In verse 22. And when they begin to sing and to praise, the Lord set an ambush against the children of Ammon and Moab and Mount Seir which were to come against Judah. It wasn't until they... It was about the God that they knew. The God's who... The God God whose they were. If you've been bought with the price of blood, God owns you. You're His and He needs us to focus on Him. Just focus. Focus. Can you praise Him for what He says? If He says to you, stand still. Don't give up. Don't quit. I'm not finished with you. Can you praise Him with that? 
Can you praise God and say to Him, that's enough for me? I'll praise you. Can you remember back to enough that He's done and always been faithful that you could say, God, I know you're faithful and I'm going to worship you because of it? Or do we end up at the end of the day just just praising something because of what we did? The problem with American Christianity today and the reason that Julie and I aren't missionaries in Africa and we're missionaries in America is because America has an adulterous gospel being preached like America needs to mix with Christianity. Christianity, Jesus is not the American dream. Jesus Christ, where you come to the cross, get crucified in your flesh, and you don't own your life. He says what He does with you, what you do with your money, what you do with your time, who you marry, where you pastor, what your ministry is. Right in the head of the greatest revival America has ever known. He's separating them unto Himself. Yes, He is. And he needs a people who are called by his name to humble themselves and seek his face, turn from their wicked ways, repent of sin, the whole bit. And then he wants to hear from heaven, but how can he hear from heaven if you haven't focused and I haven't focused on heaven itself? And he said.